Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 11th, 2017. This is Peter Serretta. On today's show, we will be talking a bunch of, about a bunch of news items, including the Comic-Con movie lineup, Dunkirk early buzz, why Dunkirk is under two hours, Christopher Nolan talking about what it would take to make him direct a James Bond movie, Marvel Television casts Squirrel Girl and the rest of the new Warriors. Alan Silvestri replaces John Williams on Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Find out why. And in our feature presentation, Scott Beggs talks about the worst and best bad guys in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And stay till the very end for the spoiler room where Ben Pearson talks about Zendaya's future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But right now, I have Bradford Omen, who you know as Ethan Anderton on SlashFilm.com. How's it going, Brad? Not too bad. Let's dig right into this stuff. Yes. So Comic-Con movie lineup was announced over the weekend, and you wrote it up for SlashFilm.com. What should we What should we be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, the entire Comic-Con lineup is out there now from preview night through the end of the convention on Sunday. Um, when it comes to movie stuff, it's actually pretty light this year. Only three of the major studios are going to Comic-Con. That's uh, 20th Century Fox, who we assume is going to be bringing... 
um, announcements and news about X-Men Dark Phoenix, New Mutants, and Deadpool 2, which is already in production. And they might even have a little teaser reel for Deadpool 2 since they've already shot some stuff. We've also got Warner Brothers, who will undoubtedly be coming with some Justice League footage, and there's rumors of an Aquaman teaser coming along with it. And since their panel is always supersized, they're bound to have some other surprise announcements come along with that. And then, of course, Marvel Studios takes over Hall H at the end of the day on Saturday, which is always one of the biggest panels and eagerly anticipated panels of the entire convention. Uh, Outside of movies... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Disney's having their own convention, D23 Expo, later this week. Uh, so they are not going to be there in full, but Marvel will be there. So we don't know what they're going to show at D23 for Marvel and what they're going to show at, at Comic-Con. But Marvel, Kevin Feige has always been a big proponent of Comic-Con. So they're going to show something big, but we don't know what. Yeah. Um, and then, honestly, this year it feels like TV has taken over even more at the convention. Uh, we've got Stranger Things and Westworld coming into Hall H. Um, there's also The Defenders is going to be in there at some point, which is the culmination of all of Marvel's Netflix series, uh, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones. So there's a lot of big TV shows that are coming into the biggest room of the convention. And then there's a bunch of all the other shows that are smaller by comparison, I guess you could say, are still in Ballroom 20, like all the CW DC comic shows. So there's a lot of TV happening around that we're also going to be tr- uh, covering along with the the big movie studio presentations. You know, I've been going to Comic-Con for 11 years now, and I've heard a lot of complaining that, you know, this used to be about comic books. Movies have taken over. And I was always like, wah, wah. Now I feel like that same way about about TV. <laughs> TV is taking over. <laughs> Movies are, like, you know, few and far between here at the convention. Uh, I mean, it's not as if the convention isn't about comic books anymore. It's just that comic books have now like ventured into this new medium where they're on movies and they're on television all the time. So it's still about comic books, just in a different form. And and there's also tons of comic book stuff around the convention floor still. Like there aren't as many big panels about comics as there might have been, you know, years ago. But you can still find tons of comic books on the show floor, and there's there's plenty of other stuff for comic book fans to geek out about while you're there. For sure. Um, but let's move on in the news to Christopher Nolan because Dunkirk is coming out. The junket just happened. Uh, the first critics who covered the interviews got to see the movie. And the early buzz was posted online today by the first first reactions on Twitter. Um, and it's overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking up the how tense the movie is. Uh saying it's heartbreaking, heart-pounding, nail-biting. Everybody's saying you need to see it in IMAX because Christopher Nolan obviously shot a big portion of this film in 70mm IMAX, so you want to see that on it. Um, And um, But reading all these reactions, uh, it's weird because everybody's praising the movie, but I, I get the sense that they're not saying something, and I'm not sure what they're not saying. Um, I, you know, I asked Kevin McCarthy, one of the critics that saw it, uh, he's a buddy of mine from DC, uh, you know, how does this rank in your Nolan filmography? And he said, I'm not ready to rank it. Um, I'm going to skip what he said here because that might be a little bit spoilerish. Uh, but the movie didn't click with me until the middle of the second act. I want to go in again with that understanding. Um, yes, so well, it's tough to talk about this part because I, so I read the early buzz and, I told Peter I was a little disappointed that I did because the way some of the people have described the movie in the conversation you initiated on Twitter 
it gives away a little bit something about the narrative of the movie, and it's not really a plot spoiler. Okay, but okay, we'll, we'll we'll say right now. If you don't want to hear this, skip out for the next thirty seconds, and this isn't a plot spoiler. But if you just want to go in completely dark about this film, just you know, don't listen for the next thirty seconds. He mentions that it's a non-linear story, which I would have most... rather not known that going into the movie. I'm not sure if that's a reveal or not, um, but it's, you know, no one has played with that so much throughout his career. Prestige, Memento, you know, his brother's playing with it, with Westworld. Um, but it seems like um, someone else mentioned that this might be a, um, you know, divisive movie. So I'm expecting there's going to be people that don't love this movie. Okay, spoilers over. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm more excited to see the movie, but I am I guess I'm still right on the level of where I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go see it because I'm mostly curious, but I'm still not to a point where like, oh, man, I got to see Dunkirk right away. Yeah, n- none of the ads have particularly excited me about it. Um, the IMAX presentation, that five-minute – um, prologue that they showed was the only thing that really got me into it but it's Christopher Nolan so I'm sold I just gotta make time to see it before D23 um, now this is Christopher Nolan's first film I think that's under two hours it's like one hour and 47 minutes um, with the exception of his uh, debut film following which was barely qualified as a feature length film yeah exactly um and he was asked about that in his interview with Fox 5 DC. And he said he wanted it to be an intense an experience as possible and therefore as lean and stripped down and short an experience as possible. So, I mean, that that, that is the reason. But the, the, the interesting thing here is the script was only 76 pages. That's crazy. That is pretty crazy. And most movies in Hollywood are 120 pages. You know, a comedy yeah, yeah. is like 100 pages. Yeah, the rule is uh, for every minute of screen time, it's a, it's a page from the script usually. Yeah. So what do you think about this, Brad? A shorter you know, movie I mean, from, from Christopher Nolan. I'm not going to complain. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, as much as I enjoyed Interstellar, you know, it, it's, it's a kind of a chore of a movie to sit through if you feel like you want to uh, give it a watch again to try and understand some of the more, you know, heady elements of it. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm happy that he's, he knows that he doesn't have to make a super long movie every time he does. And if it helps get the story across in a much more visceral way and, you know, really makes the, the world war two drama that much more, uh, impactful, you know, I'm all for it. At the junket, Christopher Nolan was asked about James Bond. Nolan is notoriously a big a uh, fan of the, the Bond series, and as, if you saw The Dark Knight Rises, the opening of that, you can see that he b- has borrowed from that franchise and other parts of his work as well. Um, and he's often kind of flirted with the idea of possibly going and making a James Bond movie. Someone finally asked him at uh, the junket, and I think you wrote this up for SlashFilm.com, right? What did he say? Yeah, I'm not actually sure it came from the junket because I think it's just an interview with Playboy that he did in advance of the release of Dunkirk. But basically, uh, he's 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 all about directing a James Bond movie. It's not as if he has to be forced to do it by any means. It's something that he has himself has expressed interest in doing. But he did say what it would take is that he would essentially be needed 
by the producers to do something new with James Bond. The only way he would do it is if it was another reinvention. So basically the only way we're going to get a Christopher Nolan James Bond is if they're rebooting the franchise again and we get a new James Bond in the role. So he's not going to take over where Daniel Craig's already established as James Bond because they already have that world built and there's already, you know, style that goes along with it. But he would do it if it were time for a new James Bond and he could do whatever he wanted and, you know, create James Bond in, you know, whatever style he wishes. I mean, this definitely makes sense. The Mirror also reported over the weekend that Daniel Craig is confirmed for the film and Adele might be back to do a theme song. But The Mirror is one of those UK newspapers that is more gossipy than not. And a confirmation from them isn't a confirmation, right? That's exactly. But, you know, if if they are going to do do it, they should get Adele back because Skyfall is an incredible theme song. And Skyfall was the best James Bond movie in the Daniel Craig run so far. I agree with that. Um, I think I would love to see a Christopher Nolan James Bond movie. And I think if he did it, the the way to go. Well, first of all, Tom Hardy. Um, Second of all, the way to go is to set it in the 60s. I'd like to see a period. How do you compete with all these spy movies like Mission Impossible and all the stuff that's going on right now uh, with all these, you know, future tech stuff going on in these these films? I feel like the way to go is to go with a period film. Yeah, I would love I would love to see a James Bond set in the 60s again, Uh, especially if someone like Christopher Nolan is directing. I feel like we could get something that is almost akin to the, the style of The Man from U.N.C.L.E., although maybe a little bit less cheeky uh i guess would be the word to say yeah more but, branded. yeah but because the, the style in the man from uncle is it's very sexy and you know it's it's got it's got that 60s you know fashion sense to it and just the the look of you know the, the set locations and everything it's it's there's a very unique look when you're looking at uh at anywhere you know internationally through the 60s so i would love to see a james bond movie you know set in the 60s yeah um and also in the news Marvel Television has cast Squirrel Girl and announced the rest of the New Warriors TV show. Whoa! Yes, this TV show is going to air on the ABC or Disney-owned channel, which was formerly ABC Family. It's called, uh, what is it, Freeform? Freeform. Yeah, it's a horrible name. Um, But they do some great shows, Peter. Like, I mean, we're talking about the Fosters. We're talking about Bunheads. We're talking about... Uh, Secret Life of American Teenager, all these staple TV shows that everyone loves and can't stop talking about. Are, are, are you on their Wikipedia page right now? No, these are sadly shows that I just know off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, well, you can go to SlashFilm.com to, to read the entire cast. Most of them are kind of very newcomers. You wouldn't recognize uh, their names, but you might recognize their faces from a couple of things. The, the, the lead girl who's playing Squirrel Girl... Uh, you know, for a time there, you know, uh, Anna Kendrick was joking that she might want to play Squirrel Girl in a movie, and people were trying to get the girl from Stranger Things to play Squirrel Girl. Neither of them got the role. It's instead uh, Milana Vaintrub. I don't know how to pronounce. Yeah, sure. she was in This Is Us. She was in Silicon Valley, but you probably know her best as the AT&T girl from all the commercials. She's working in AT&T. She's helping the celebrities behind the desk. Um, yeah, so go to SlashFilm.com. You can read Ben Pearson's article on that and find out the entire cast of of New the New Warriors. But are we going to watch it, Brad? Is it going to – like, is Freeform so out of our bubble that, you know – I mean, it's obviously in your bubble. You, you recognize all these shows, but <laughs> – 
I mean, no, I it's one freeform programming is really not in my wheelhouse at all. I might give this one like I, I might give the pilot a watch just to see what it's like, but I, I really can't imagine that it's going to be for me at all. I think this I think this is Marvel trying to tap into demographic that they have a harder time landing with, and so I don't I just don't think it's going to be something that I enjoy quite as much. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, last up in the news. Alan Silvestri is replacing John Williams on Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Why is that happening? So Steven Spielberg is actually getting ready to do one of those twofer deals where he has two films that are coming out very close to each other. Um, every time he's done this, it's actually turned out really well in his favor because the movies that he's done in the, the single within the span of a year have been great. Um, and so he's doing that again because later this year he has a movie called The Papers Coming About, which is about the release of the controversial documents known as the Pentagon Papers, has an all-star cast that includes Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, and John Williams will actually be providing the score for that movie. So that movie will be in post-production at the same time as Ready Player One, which is set for release in March of 2018. So John Williams basically just doesn't have the time to do both. And so John uh, Williams and Steven Spielberg both agreed that Alan Silvestri, who scored Back to the Future, which was produced by Steven Spielberg, was the best person to replace John Williams on Ready Player One. Yeah, John Williams is getting up there in the years, and he's only doing one or two films a year at this point. He's doing the Star Star Wars saga films, so this is you know this is going to be the only other film he's going to be doing this year. Um, Alan Silvestri, in my opinion, is a great choice. I've always really enjoyed his themes. As a composer, I'm a huge fan of Back to the Future. Uh, he's done a lot of Robert Zemeckis' stuff. Uh, w- w- do you like Alan? I do. I love Alan Silvestri's work. I feel like with this movie especially, he's probably the best composer you could have gotten to replace John Williams, especially because uh, in Ready Player One, there are references to several 80s movies that Alan Silvestri provided the score to. So if, if anything, it's good to have him on because it might make it easier for him to reference some of those musical cues as certain pop culture references come up in Ready Player One. Good point. And that is the end of the news. I'm going to leave you now, Brad. Uh, where can we find more of your work online? I'm always at theslashfilm.com where we talk about all the movies and TV shows. You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And I've also got my own podcast called Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, where we talk about movies, play movie games, and bust each other's balls. So check that out on iTunes and other podcast platforms. In today's feature presentation, I have Scott Beggs of Thrillist, Nerdist. He's on all the ists. He's also on SlashFilm.com with <laughs> all the Marvel big bads ranked by badness. Scott, how is it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me back. So it's SlashFilmist. SlashFilmist. Yeah, I got to rename the site just to fit in with your My what CD it be? of, yeah, your of CD. places I write for. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so on Slash Film, you wrote a ranking of the worst Marvel villains in the cinematic universe. There's some bad ones. There's some good ones. I think that I didn't really look at the average score that I gave them, but I ranked them by personality uh, out of 20 points and plan, like how they were going (laughs) to take over the world and or do their evil deeds and that was out of 20 also. So there was some science behind it, for sure. <laughs> On the bottom of the list is not uh, Meliketh 
from Thor The Dark World, which surprised me. So the 16th entry on your list is who? Is Abomination from oh. The Incredible Hulk. Which is barely a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but it You is. hit the nail on the head. Like, it's so separated from the others, right? <laughs> yeah. And why is he the worst villain in all of the cinematic universe? Well, my argument is just from a mathematical perspective of how I how I rank them of personality and plan. Like those, that's the rubric for how I'm ju- judging these these villains. And for me, his personality is is only bolstered by the actor that is in his shoes, which is uh, Tim Roth. And you're gonna hear that a lot in this list, where it's like, oh, they found a great actor for it, and that really helped float it along. The character itself is sort of pointless, uh, ego. Uh, maniac who just wants to get steroided out and wants to turn into a big monster and then he does and that's it like the, the his his plan there is no plan either <laughs> he just kind of wants to get roided out and then he gets roided out and then he just destroys a bunch of stuff so that's kind of it and they have to send in hulk to fight him but i'm curious as to uh if you were surprised that malekith was not at the bottom of the list why do you think he belongs at the bottom I don't know why he is the worst villain, but he just is. There's not much to him. I guess he doesn't really have a plan, as you would probably suggest. No plan. No plan. Um, he has no personality. He, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's it just like, it, I don't even think about him enough to know why he's the worst Marvel villain for me. It's just like, he always has been. In my mind. But that, that that's like a sign in and of itself, right? Like you yeah. don't think about him enough to even rethink why he's the worst. He doesn't so why really is, why is he the worst for you? Or not the worst, but the second worst, I guess. I mean, this is a tight race <laughs> to the bottom. <laughs> uh, but so I, I think all of the same things that you've said plus Abomination is just worse for me. Like just barely by a point or two or whatever. But he is he's fueled by pure revenge. That's fine. Um, but there's nothing more to him. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston is is the personality of that character, and they did not give him anything to work with, which is another popular refrain from this list. Just phenomenal actors given nothing to work with. So a lot of mistreatment of the bad guys in the Marvel world. And speaking of a great actor given nothing to work with, number 14 on your list is Whiplash from Iron Man 2, who was played by Mickey Rourke, who was coming off The Wrestler. He was like, you know, award buzz. His performance in that movie was all over the place. And this was the movie he chose to follow it up with. Jon Favreau picked him for this role, and and it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, way way to sell it. It really is just not good. And it's, it's such an interesting thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with going from that, you know, career revival movie that makes people treat you more respectably they they treat you more seriously as an actor this was going to be a second act for his career you choose the big movie that's the uh the sequel to the surprise hit that saved an entire studio and he just gives you perfect for it too he seemed perfect it really did. It was it was one of those recipes that uh, every flavor looks delicious, and then you bite into it, and it just tastes bland and nothing. And uh, it was unfortunate because it could have had like all this great personality, and for whatever reason, he just kind of moans and mumbles his way through this figure. The villain wasn't written that great to begin with. Although, you know, kudos to the Iron Man two team for having this kind of, you know big bad sharing the screen time with another big bad and tricking 
Justin Hammer into giving him a lot of space to operate in and, and fulfill a plan. That's an interesting enough plan. Uh, and I think it's interesting enough plan in that he wanted to take down Iron Man and uh, do it with a army of iron suits, which is something that Iron Man himself steals in Iron <laughs> Man 3. Yeah. <laughs> and wins because of having an army of suits. So the plan is obviously like fairly good. <laughs> it's It's good enough to be copied by Tony Stark. But unfortunately, the performance and everything else is just ugh, thumbs down. And I remember hearing that Mickey Rourke, you know, was the reason why they have that bird in the movie. He just wanted to have a bird. Yeah, he just in wanted a scenes. bird. Yeah, just wanted a bird. There's no reason for it. There's no. I don't think there's any metaphorical reason for it, as far as I remember. No. I haven't seen it in years. Just so, wanted a bird. Yeah. Uh, number thirteen on your list is Ultron from Avengers: yeah. Age of Ultron. I gotta admit, now that I get to talk about this list a little bit, I tried so hard to put him at dead last place uh but uh, i think that in the end once again casting gave us uh you know more personality than this character deserved and what's interesting to me about ultron perhaps like why i rank ultron so low and why i just hate this character so much is because my enthusiasm for the future my future my enthusiasm for artificial intelligence and you know, my my fandom of uh, Ray Kurzweil and reading his work. And then all of a sudden you have this idea that this villain is going to be this incredible AI, a, a fantastic idea. But then it is the dumbest AI on the planet. It, just, <laughs> it makes no sense. Like what he's doing is so convoluted and bizarre. And yet they show his power in certain sequences, like taking over you know, like infesting the internet, taking over the world banks. And yet, what does he choose to do with all of this? This incredibly like Rube Goldberg machine bad guy thing that is just moronic. Uh, launch the nukes, man. Just launch the <laughs> nukes. That's all you got to do. Mo- yeah. Movie over. Avengers dead. He had the power <laughs> to do that, too. Yeah, and exactly. You, and you, you called him clearly the stupidest omnipotent robot since Eagle Eye, which I think is brilliant. Another movie that pissed me off to, to <laughs> no end. And not not to keep on hitting this hammer, but James Spader, great actor, given not a great role. Yeah, you know, he elevates it. That's it. Yeah. Um, number 12 on your list. I really loved Ant-Man, but the one I feel like part of Ant-Man that doesn't work is the villain, Darren Cross. So yeah. why does Darren Cross not work? Yeah. Yet again, Corey Stoll, strong up-and-coming actor coming off of House of Cards uh, playing just kind of a generic business bad guy. And I think that's the problem. Um, he's not he's not terrible. I mean, we're kind of jumping into the like C minus categories <laughs> of yeah. villains now. Darren Cross is just boring. Like that's kind of it. He he just wants to make a ton of money by selling a bunch of uh, advanced weapons to a bunch of bad guys and helping out uh, our old pals at Hydra. And that that's it. That's kind of that's fine, but we've seen it before and you'll you'll see it again higher up on the list. Um, but generic bad guy who could have had a cooler backstory with a sort of loss of this uh mentor uh that he has that just kind of goes nowhere. You know, he's clearly seeks revenge in a certain way with by succeeding, which could have been more interesting, but they just never, you know, they they planted those seeds and then never did anything with them. You know, this guy is helped by the fact that it's not one of the typical Marvel movies where the guy's trying to, you know, the world is at stake and you right. know, some big grand thing. You know, the final 
action scene takes place in a girl's bedroom on a yeah. micro scale, and that, that that that's why I think it doesn't isn't detrimental to the movie. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think right now we should probably go towards the top of the list because the middle is not as with any list the middle is not as interesting as the the top and the bottom yeah so let's go up to number five obadiah stain from iron man and this is another great actor uh but he actually has something he was given something to play with yeah And this is actually a good time jump because we are jumping from Darren Cross to kind of the original Marvel business bad guy, which is Obadiah Stane. Um, Tries to kill Tony Stark. Big mistake. Um, But I love that in his failures, he comes up with a new plan every time and then executes it. And it's a pretty smart plan every single time. Um, Having Tony Stark executed by terrorists while he's visiting, you know, war zone in the Middle East. uh, Pretty clever. Uh, if it didn't get back to him, that would have been strong. He would have become mm-hmm. controller of the company and he could have sold to all the people that he wanted to on the, uh, the secondary, uh, books, as they say, the like black journal of all of yeah. their sales. And he would have made a crazy amount of money, had a lot of power. And yet Tony Stark comes back. And I just, I love, I love, I love the idea of, oh, the board's trying to kick you out, Tony, and I'm your only ally. Such a great, you know, kind of Shakespearean villain move of gaining the trust and uh, then destroying it. And of course, I love the line in there where like Tony's trying to talk to him about the arc reactor. He's like, come on, like how serious is this thing? It's a, it's a publicity stunt. We did it to uh, appease the hippies. And it's yeah. a perfect little moment of Bridges casting against the dude. We're seeing a lot of these, these um, Marvel villains ranked lists coming around homecoming because the vulture is such a great villain but he did not make number one in your list. Why is that? No, I mean, I think that time will prove me correct in this, that once we step back from the energy of Homecoming and, and really look at Vulture a little bit more, we can see that great, great villain. I mean, this is, again, like these are 1.2 point, 3 point disparities between the top four, top five, but uh, not the best. Uh, and, and that of course, like it's a difference between an A minus and an A at this point, you know what I mean? So, so so what, what makes Vulture a great villain? Vulture's a great villain because he's not a villain. Uh, I think that's a really wonderful thing. Um, if you haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, maybe skip the next minute of this podcast, but, uh, the great thing about Vulture is, uh, Keaton plays him perfectly, really great acting. And the character himself, we understand where he's coming from. He is an antagonist, not a villain. And because of that, he's given a lot of three-dimensionality that some other Marvel and other superhero movies, uh, for that matter, just do not give to the bad guys. And so uh, not only that, that's kind of like a baseline. You want to achieve that for sure. But on top of that, uh, what's great in this film is that Vulture is given space to be a foil to Iron Man. He's very much a mirror image of Iron Man uh, in many ways, except he didn't inherit a crazy amount of money. So that's a a check mark for him. And he can also, because of that, play off of how they've set up Peter Parker's story in this, uh, to have Tony Stark as a kind of father figure to him, uh, to a, a superhero character famous for losing father figures or not having them in the first place and desperately, desperately wanting them. And Vulture, on the other hand, can also take that place, a mirror image of uh, another father figure. Um, And it's certainly not played out 
to even half the degree that Spider-Man 2 is, where Dr. Octavius becomes Peter Parker's uh, father figure, only for that to uh, get perverted, for power to really ruin his mind and to become a true villain, which is incredibly devastating. Um, But it certainly is hinted at here in in a lighter way that matches the tone of the movie, which is 99% fun. Yeah, and it's also great the connection that we find between Spider- uh, Peter Parker and uh, Vulture, which we won't go into further here, but it's amazing. And number two on your list is Ego from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. Why is Kurt Russell your number two? Kurt Russell's fantastic. Uh, he's the best. He's Kurt Russell. And this is uh, maybe an unfair advantage because of what we talked about earlier, which is that Marvel tends to focus on the hero and the villain gets about 10 percent of the screen time, which is just not enough to develop anything. Uh, And here it's uh, not the case. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is really the story about the heroes and uh, this relationship with a villainous uh, ego, the living planet. Um, Great exploration of abandonment issues, um, mentor figure issues. And again, Kurt Russell's just cool. Kurt Russell is the dad. Like, if you didn't have a dad, (laughs) (laughs) who would you pick to be your dad? It's Kurt Russell every time. Um, And so because of that, it's kind of a lot of things coming together to make this perfect little uh, batch of a, uh, a bad guy who, uh, again, is also understandable. He's this lonely god. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to procreate, and he's trying to then take over the universe in his own image. That's a bridge too far for us, but we can understand the loneliness that comes from it that begins. Uh, And because of that, you've got kind of a triple play of uh, great actor, great role, great symbolism that that creates a, a great villain. Yeah, I think I think you're right. If there is a crack in this plan of taking yeah. over the entire universe, it's not something we can readily understand, but we can empathize with his loneliness. Number one on your list is, of course, Loki. So I didn't look at a lot of other rankings before I did this just because I didn't want to poison the well. But I have to assume that every single MCU bad guy ranking has Loki at number one because he is their best villain. Uh, that's why he keeps coming back. And I think the reason for this is not just Tom Hiddleston, who is uh, excellent and will bring up Shakespeare again. The guy's a Shakespeare nut. Uh, I've talked to him before and we've just geeked out for long periods of time about Shakespeare and the deeper meanings and what he's bringing to Loki and what he's bringing to Thor and that whole universe uh, and uh, particularly the Avengers as well. Ah. He's a great villain because he's fun to watch. Um, He's one of the most fun to watch uh, villains in the MCU. He may be the most fun to watch. I I was going to say, I I don't think there is another villain on this list that is as delightful to watch. Like, there's not another villain that I was like, I would want to see a movie. You know, I would like to see a Loki movie. Yeah, I don't think there's another villain on this list that I could say that about. I think you've just like hit it on the head, which is that like, why is he the best villain? Because out of all of them, you would watch a Loki standalone film. Um, that's the only MCU villain that you would do that for. Uh, you know, I got a little flack in the comment section for talking about Ronan, the accuser of having a lot of personality. But for me, Lee Pace is like a crazy, awesome actor and he's amazing and everything. And he brings this soap opera gravitas to all of it. Uh, and so because of that, he brings a lot of personality, but Hiddleston, does it uh, in spades at every single thing he does for MCU. And I honestly, at this point, I just want a standalone Loki film now that you've mentioned it, <laughs> Peter. 
Yeah, but you know, to do that, it would have to be him becoming a good guy, or within the film, him becoming a good guy, because he, we, we he can't could, have he a... Could, he could have, like, an evil an evil intention, and then by the end of it, he gets thwarted, and it's like, oh, well, because that's Loki. He's, like, this great comic character, too, where I give him props for, like, his plans being good, but then also, like, he kind of rolls with the punches. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. kind of all, like, chaos works for him really well. So if something fails miserably, he just shrugs, and that's fine. Anyways, you can read this full list and, and find out the middle on SlashFilm.com. Where can we find more of your work on the internet, Scott? You know, easiest spot is just follow me on Twitter at Scott M. Beggs. That's M as in Michael. And before I go, I did want to have a shout out to Karen Hahn, who wrote a really great piece arguing that Vulture is the best villain of MCU. And I think it merits uh, a read and a good argument because uh, she's got some great points. Today in the spoiler section, we are bringing on Ben Pearson of SlashFilm.com to talk about the future of Zendaya's character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you have not seen Spider-Man Homecoming, I advise shut off your podcast right now because we are going to get into spoilers. In Spider-Man Homecoming, it is revealed at the very end of the movie that Zendaya's character, Michelle, has a nickname and that is MJ, which just happens to be the same initials ab- abbreviation yeah as uh mary jane from uh the previous spider-man movies and spider-man comics kevin feige has been asked about this from den of geek and you wrote up the article on slashfilm.com what did he say yes so basically he said in setting up that this whole uh version of spider-man is going to be slightly different than the versions that we've seen before uh MJ, as played by Zendaya, is not Mary Jane Watson. He says that's not who the character is, but giving her the initials that remind you of that dynamic certainly is intriguing about what could go forward. Uh, Clearly, she says that she's not obsessed with Peter. She's just observant, but she's there. And to have fun with that, while at the same time having it be different characters that can provide a different dynamic is the point of... uh, switching things up in the way that they did in this movie. And I think it's a great idea because... It's very obvious to me that Kevin Feige and all of the writers for Spider-Man Homecoming thought long and hard about how to uh, create moments from a Spider-Man movie that fans will love. But they're also very, very aware that we've seen five other Spider-Man movies in the past 15 years. And, you know, we've seen a lot three movies with Mary Jane, two with Gwen Stacy. So the idea of introducing a new uh, female love interest is a really cool thing because it it uh, switches up the formula a little bit, right? And it keeps the fans yeah. on their toes because it lets us um, have the experience of being familiar with the world and familiar with a lot of characters within it, including the prominent one of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. But we don't know that Gwen Stacy is going to die eventually, so they're going to do that in the movie. We don't know anything about what happens to this version of MJ, Michelle, so it's kind of a blank slate. I, I love it. And this is their kind of take on the entire movie. You know, they didn't go with the Daily Bugle. They were playing around with maybe doing a blog, and in the movie it was school intercom news report. So th- so they, 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 they purposely went in different angles of having – you know, villains we didn't see before, not having a love interest we've seen before. Uh, it is weird that if she isn't playing Mary Jane Watson, that they are calling her MJ. <laughs> I, I mean, it, 
it, it was one of the few references in the movie that like when it, when I heard it, I was like, uh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it does it does on the surface sort of seem like a, a you know a um a superfluous sort of nod to the fans, and at this point, like everyone is a fan of Spider Man because it's not just like a little Easter egg that only the hardcore comics readers are gonna get, right? Like everyone knows who MJ is at this point, um, so it's not like an in joke necessarily. Uh, and I sort of, I'll admit, I sort of rolled my eyes at it when I heard it in context in the theater as well. But thinking about it more and realizing that this is not um, the same character or even like a twist on the same character. She's a completely different person that has been invented for this universe. Uh, I got excited about the potential of what Michelle MJ, we could see her do in future movies because um, Feige has also said that like future villains in the uh, MCU in the in the upcoming Spider-Man movies are not going to be villains that we've seen in previous um, Spider-Man films before. So it's it's very obvious to me that they are looking to um, retain the recognizable core components of a Spider-Man movie while also giving us something new and fresh moving forward. And I'm kind of stoked about that. Bunch of websites reported on this a year ago that Zendaya was playing Mary Jane Watson. It was a leak that got out very early on. And uh, we talked about the other day about how we handle spoilers and we, we, we try not to report, you know, report stuff that we think is a reveal or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But we had been told it wasn't a reveal. So we, we did go ahead and report it. And after I, we were reported, I heard from sources that it was this thing at the end of the movie that they revealed, you know, that she was MJ. And that it was originally the case that she was going to New York because she had to do her fashion shoot. And the reason why she doesn't have friends is she's like a model that's staying. Oh. Yeah. So th- th- they... I'm not sure if that was cut out of the movie, if that's just nonsense that I heard. But it looks like they're definitely taking a different direction than that now. Although, if you look at Zendaya and you look at her, get any of the the, um, the magazines that she's on, you can tell that she looks completely different than the character she plays in the movie. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me that they would have cast someone like that to play a model yeah. Down. And it's also that 80s trope. You know, this movie is definitely 80s trope of her being the, the not pretty best friend to that's the girl that he should be with. And, yeah, you know, and at later, the end, she's going to take movies. off her glasses and yeah. she's going to be pretty. Yeah, so, the yeah, she's all that effect. Yes, exactly. Okay, so where can we find more of your work, Ben? Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at Ben Pears. That does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. I want to apologize. We are over 40 minutes and well over our 30-minute scheduled broadcast. I promise in the future we're going to try to keep this under 30 minutes. We're still experimenting. We're still figuring things out. Um, Please spread the word about this podcast. This is a startup podcast. We're not making any money on it. So we're doing, you know, try to tell your friends. Get get, we, We need more listeners, and we already have a great group of community a great community so far um you could send your questions for the mailbag to peter at slash film.com please also rate and review us on itunes that helps us a great deal uh you can subscribe to us on itunes stitcher google play all the popular podcast apps and we will see you tomorrow 
Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.